Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. It's a rarefied atmosphere when you're a lawyer arguing before the Supreme Court. In fact, those lawyers who specialize in practice before the justices are referred to as the Supreme Court Bar, and competition is ramping up there. Joining me is Kimberly Strawbridge-Robinson, Bloomberg Law Supreme Court reporter. So, Kimberly, tell us how this group emerged in the 80s to counter the expertise of the attorneys in the Solicitor General's office. Sure, June. Well, the situation in the 1980s was quite different than um, what you've just described. It was really a hodgepodge of attorneys um, beyond the Solicitor General's office, which is uh, the office that represents the federal government. You know, usually if you would uh, handle an appeal at the lower courts, you would also handle it at the Supreme Court. Um, there were really only a handful of attorneys who uh, really specialized in Supreme Court practice. I think one name that everybody will most likely know is uh, Chief Justice John Roberts was one of those. Uh, but that's really different today, where most of the litigation is handled either by attorneys at the Solicitor General's office or um, in some kind of Supreme Court-focused practice. And I'm not sure if that was the point of Supreme Court practice, was to kind of counter the Solicitor General's office, but it certainly has been um, one of the results, is that the Solicitor General's office hasn't done as well since these um, focused practices um, have shown up. And you're seeing a trend in firms setting up dedicated Supreme Court practices. Well, we are. Now, there are already a lot of players um, in this space, so the numbers are small, but they are growing. Uh, and so just earlier this year, we heard, you know, the New York mega firm Paul Weiss uh, started a Supreme Court focus. Um, so it's definitely something that's growing. Does it seem odd that it's growing and they're setting up new practices when there are fewer cases to sort of fight over since the Roberts Court is taking far less cases than the court used to? Well, right. And it's actually kind of interesting that uh, since the 1980s, the number of cases that the Supreme Court has been hearing has fallen quite a bit. It used to be somewhere around 150. Last term, it was closer to 70. Um, but, you know, attorneys who practice in this field say that's one reason why it's important not just to have a Supreme Court focused uh, appellate team, but one that focuses on the lower federal appellate courts, too. So are these practices money makers? Well, they can be. And I think a big component of that is not trying just for the small slice of Supreme Court business that there is. Um, but, you know, people who practice in this space say it can really be a complement uh, to a firm's other litigation and even business activities. You know, you don't want to turn away a client whose case you've handled um, from the regulatory stage to trial to the appellate courts just because you don't have the Supreme Court specialty. You talked to Tom Goldstein, who is a well-known Supreme Court practitioner, and he says lawyers can't bill as many hours to clients with a Supreme Court case as they would for a trial, for example. Well, that's right. So, you know, if you think about a trial at a big law firm, you're going to need a lot of young associates to do a lot of the grunt work. There's all these depositions to do. There's usually millions of pages of discovery work. Um, there's lots of witnesses to prep. But that's not going to be the case with a Supreme Court case. And that's why, you know, they say it's really important to get Supreme Court and appellate advocates involved in all stages of the litigation, including at the at the trial phase. And does it give a firm a sort of panache to have a Supreme Court practice? 
Well, absolutely. I mean, this is really when attorneys are at the top of their game. Um, you know, it's often the first thing that clients uh, see of your law firm. It involves really high stakes and high profile issues. But in, beyond clients, it's really important for getting the really top talent. If somebody's looking for the opportunity to work on appeals, having a Supreme Court practice is, uh, you know, something that would really attract some of the cream of the crop. This term, just five private Washington attorneys argued in a quarter of the Supreme Court's cases, and the justices know their names. And what kind of an advantage does it give them knowing the justices and the justices knowing them? Well, it gives them a really big advantage, not, you know, most obviously, I think in the arguments, they know these justices and what kinds of questions they want to ask. And they know that the justices are looking beyond just this particular case and can provide them with broader answers. But we see even in the outcome of the cases, um, there was a recent study that showed that Supreme Court um, experts actually have a better record um, than individuals who are practicing just their first or second time before the justices. This term, only 17% of Supreme Court cases were argued by women. Are any of the firms addressing that lack of gender diversity among the advocates at the court? Well, you know, the lack of diversity is not just a problem with advocates before the Supreme Court, but it really um, infects the entire um, judiciary and the, you know, the the law um, as a whole. And so we see the issue uh, with law firms trying to hold on to female associates um, at the partnership. And we even see it um, in the federal judiciary. Just a third of the judges in the federal judiciary are women. Um, and that's really just looking at one angle of diversity. There are a lot of other angles of diversity that we're not even touching upon. So it's a problem that firms are trying to address. Um, but whether they're, they will be successful in the future remains to be seen. They certainly haven't been so yet. And Kimberly, is it possible for a boutique law firm to handle a lot of Supreme Court cases or are they reserved for these big law firms? Well, we see the Supreme Court focus um, expanding to really all sizes of law firms, you know, from the big Paul Weisses of the world that I talked about earlier that are really a mega firm um, to the solo practitioners. There's one um, new solo practitioner on the beat who has gotten three uh, of the court's 70 arguments uh, just a few terms ago, which is a really big chunk of the work. And so, you know, a lot of advocates I spoke to um, who work at these smaller firms say it can really be perfect for a smaller firm, especially um a bookish attorney who doesn't want to be around a lot of other people. Thanks so much for joining us, Kimberly. Happy that, to do it. That's Kimberly Strawbridge Robinson, Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.